Um, almost every time I preach, no matter what part of the Bible I'm preaching from, I have three big goals in the back of my mind. Um, first goal is make clear what God is saying through his word in such a way that helps people respond to him. Second goal, make the gospel clear by making a big deal about Jesus. And thirdly, my goal is that I would handle the scriptures carefully, knowing that one day I'm going to give an account for how I do that, but, but also included in that is to help you handle the scriptures yourself. Um, usually these goals are fairly unstated, I don't usually say that, um, but they are pretty much always present. And today, though, I actually want to be a little bit clear, or a little more clear, as to how those three goals kind of play out over the course of a single sermon. And to do that, I'm going to try and make that as obvious as I can. Uh, so what I'm going to do that with you is just read through Malachi chapter 2, starting from verse 17. If you have your Bibles, uh, I would really love it if you could follow along with your Bible in that. And I'm going to give you after we've read that together, one hint, two cautions, and three lessons. All right? That's, that's the structure of how we're going to do this this morning. One hint, two cautions, and three lessons. So the first thing we want to do is go to God's Word. Uh, we want to hear from God himself. Thanks, Marty, for drawing our attention to that. We know God by his terms, not ours. Uh, so let's, let's hear from him first. And what I'm going to do is I'll put it on the, on the screen. And probably if you look at the screen for a moment, that's pretty similar to what you're going to read if you've got it in front of you on a physical Bible or a digital Bible or something. Um, that's the format that you're most likely going to come across this passage. I've made a small paragraph break where chapter 3 begins. Just remember that the chapter numbers and the verse numbers do not exist in the original manuscripts when this was written. They have been inserted at a later date because this Bible is a big book. It's hard to find things unless you can have an address for something, all right? Uh, look up this particular book, this particular chapter, this particular verse. So the paragraph break exists where the chapter break um, is. Let's read it together just as it is in your Bible and as it is on the screen right in front of us. Malachi chapter 2 starting from verse 17, the last verse in chapter 2, and we go to chapter 3, verse 5, is what we're going to read today. All right. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? There's the little, we've seen this all the way through the book so far, right? You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying... Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them, or by asking, where is the God of justice? All right, swing into chapter 3. This, this continues on. Verse 1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? 
For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. And that is God's word. All right, I told you I'm going to do one hint, two cautions, and three lessons. So here's the one hint. And I told Tim this, and he said, oh, just one thing. I was like, yeah, but it's got subpoints, all right? So, yeah, one hint. Now, take this passage, for example. We could be talking about any particular passage in the Scriptures. Some passages are super clear when you read it through, just like we did. And, and the, the main thrust of the passage kind of easily is seen, jumps to the surface a little bit, and we go, I think I know what that passage is about, right? But of course, some passages in Scripture are not so easy. Some are more challenging to wrap your head around. And so a super helpful thing, here's the hint, to do with any passage is simply break the passage up into smaller chunks, right? Break it up into smaller clusters. Now, each of these uh, clusters tend to have just one main thought or subject matter in them. And the way you identify them is to usually look for a key phrase that links all of those thoughts together. So I'm going to put a slide up and I'm going to show you how I did that in this passage. And you can do something similar. Um, it's exactly the same passage. All I did was put a paragraph break in between some of the, the little groups of thought. And I highlighted on the screen... The first sentence or the first phrase that I look at when I'm reading through a passage like this that sort of says, hey, here's a bit of a clue as to where you can break this up. Now, you could do this um, at home. You could just find it. You don't have to have an expensive Bible software package. You can simply um, go to heaps of online Bibles, copy and paste the text that you want to have a look at. In this case, uh, Malachi chapter 2, 17 through to chapter 3, verse 5, paste it into a document of some sort that you can edit, um, whatever your favourite editing package is, or even notes on your phone or something, and just break the passage up. And look for key phrases. I've highlighted them in yellow. You have wearied the Lord with your words. That's straight away fairly confronting. Imagine that. God just says, hey, listen, I'm tired of you talking. That's basically what he says, right? I am weary of all the words that you have to say. And that's God saying that to his people. That's pretty confronting. And then, of course, the next little part that follows that explains that, right? The people would have been, hey, well, hang on, hang on. What's, how have we wearied you? Why are you tired of what we have to say? And then God explains why, right? And now, verse 1, there's a new phrase there that sort of shifts the thought on. It goes into another idea here. So God now responds to the people and he says, behold, I'm going to send my messenger. 
And then that whole paragraph really describes what this messenger is going to do and what's going to happen when this messenger arrives. You'll see the next yellow phrase that I've highlighted again shifts the, uh, the thought a little bit because all of a sudden when we're talking about God arriving, his messenger arriving, the natural thought is, well, who can, who can stand? Who can endure when God arrives? Right? And then there's another little thought paragraph around that. And then the last one there is, then I will draw near to you for judgment. So you can see that you might sort of um, say, oh, I might break that up a little bit differently. That's fine. It's a great thing to do with a group of people. I can guarantee you, if you get into your core group and you say tonight, we're just going to take a passage. We're going to all work on breaking this passage up and highlighting some of the key thoughts on it. Um, It's a great exercise to do and then sit down together and say, well, how did you break it up? Here's how I broke it up. Here's why. And before you know it, you are diving deep into God's word. That's a good thing. All right. So there's my hint, but it's not quite finished. That's just sub point one. All right. The first one hint that I have now, after you've broken it up into your passages, you've got all these little thought clusters in place. A great thing to do is just add a heading to every single one of those thought clusters that you make up. One heading, one phrase or one sentence that describes what's going on. And so this is the way that I've tried to do that. All right? The first one is, God is weary. Now I've said with being misrepresented. It's not just the words they said, but what words they were using about God. And we're going to talk a bit more about that in a moment. But the first thing there I've said is that, listen, God is weary. And in particular, he is weary with being misrepresented. The people were saying things about God that just were simply not true. They were misrepresenting his character. And God was tired of it. All right? We, we understand that, don't we? If someone's walking around saying things about us that are simply not true, they are misrepresenting our character and who we are, we get pretty tired of that pretty quick. God does as well. Okay, the next phrase, the next cluster, is really just the messenger and the Lord arrive. All right, we'll talk about that in a minute. Next cluster, judgment begins with the restoration of worship. We're going to talk about more about that shortly. But these are just statements. You're not, you're not interpreting anything. You're not trying to apply anything. You are simply reading what's there in that little passage. And you are trying to describe, a, with a brief heading, what is happening in those verses. And you just try and summarize it a little bit. Okay, you don't need to worry about that, um, about the application part of it at this point in time. Uh, and the last one is, then all wrong will be made right. Okay, I love that little, that, that's the thought that came to mind because I'm a big fan of C.S. Lewis and Chronicles of Narnia. All right? So you get, you get this picture in the Chronicles of Narnia of this uh, prophecy when Aslan the lion comes, then all wrongs will be made right. And, and in this little phrase, you, you see God saying, hey, listen, all these things that are going wrong, I'm going to deal with them. I'm going to make them right. Okay, so there's, there's how I would do that. There's one more little part to this hint, though. Um, you've done all the hard work. You've got the block of Scripture all broken down into small clusters. You've highlighted all the connecting phrases between those, and you've summarised the big ideas. Uh, So let me just add one more little step to this. What you do is you connect all your headings back up to form a summary statement. 
so if someone said to you, hey, I was reading Malachi chapter 3, verse 17, down to chapter 3, verse 5 this morning in my quiet time, and you told your friend that, you said, oh, this, this is what I was reading in my quiet time, and they might say, well, um, what was it about? All right? Probably, if we don't go through this exercise, one of the first things that we might say is, oh, it's about the refiner's fire. Okay? And it is. But, but here's something that you could say instead. Um, your friend says, yeah, what, what was it about? Well, you could just connect all your headings back up and that would summarise the entire passage. And here's how I've done it. I've just, you, you can see the way that we've connected the phrases back. God was tired of his people misrepresenting him. So he sent his messenger to prepare for his own arrival. He came to restore worship among those who knew him and to deliver true justice for every wrong done. Right? That's what that passage is about. And all, you, all you've done is just broken it up, looked at the phrases, connected the headings together, and now you've got a summary statement and someone says, well, what's that passage about? Or someone walks out today and you meet up with a friend and they say, oh, what did you do at church today? Oh, we sang some songs, listened to a preacher, all the normal stuff. What did the preacher talk about? Malachi chapter 2, verse 17 to 3, verse 5. What's that about? Well, it's about God was tired of people misrepresenting. You can just you see how this works? All right, you can do this. Anyone can do this. It, it's not something that, it takes some practice, right? It takes a little bit of doing it a few times, but get with some other people and do it. It sounds a bit sort of like Bible church nerd stuff, but you, you sort of go, it's fun, right? It is. It is. It's a fun way to actually get with other people and get into the scriptures. Break it up, put some headings down, summarize the passage and say, how did you go about doing that? Here's how I went about doing it. You know, and talk about it. it. It's easy, all right? Easy thing to be able to do with each other and it's a lot of fun and you'll get a lot of benefit out of it. You can do that for every single passage in scripture. Okay, go to any passage in the Bible and you can do that. It does get easier the more you practice it. And I'd suggest that you go through it um, as an exercise with a group of people. Get a few friends together, do it in your core group, pick a passage, brainstorm how you'd break it up, summarise the clusters into a heading, and then join the heading back up to create a summary. All right? There's my one hint. Comes with two cautions, though. And these two cautions... Uh, in particular, cautions that we've read in this passage as we've done this again this morning. All right, here's the first caution that I'm going to give you. And it is in the form of a question that you can find in chapter 2, verse 17. So find that in your Bible, chapter 2, verse 17. And um, let's just highlight that. Actually, just yeah, leave the screen as it is for the moment. Thank you. The question that you're going to see that I want to give you some caution about is the question, at least in the English Standard Version, the very last question that the people ask of God is, where is the God of justice? All right, where is the God of justice? So when you're reading through Scripture, first in how you uh, um, interpret what's happening, but this is an, a warning that we need to take account in our own hearts on. Because maybe you could read that and you could think, wow, God, God was weary, God got tired of people talking, and what were the things that they were saying? Well, there's two questions. One is quite obvious as to why God would get tired of that. 
All right? So the first question was what? Everyone who does evil, it's not really a question, it's a statement. Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. And he delights in them. That's what people were saying about God. So understand, understand what they're saying there. The people in Malachi's time, living in their culture and their life, looked around them and there were bad things happening everywhere. A bit like today. We can, uh, we can relate to that, can't we? We look around in our culture. We look around in our society. There are bad things happening. And there are bad people. And they're doing things and it seems like they're getting away with it. There are, there are things happening in this world right now that are wrong at every level. And not only are they wrong, but they seem to be celebrated. They seem to be lifted up and, and our whole world and culture seems to look at them and say, this is great. Now, it's quite possible if that's the case, as Christians, it certainly was in Malachi's time, as people who worshipped the one true God, they saw this happening and their conclusion was, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. God is not doing anything about this evil. right? And in fact, it looks like that God delights in them. It looks like they're being prospered. It looks like they're blessed because of what they're doing. That's the first observation that the people in Malachi's time made. It's certainly an observation that, as a Christian, you might be able to make today. But here's the caution, and it's the second question they ask. And the, and the question is kind of a flow out from the observation that all these evil things are happening and that it seems good. And their question was, where is the God of justice? And the passage tells us that God was getting tired of this. So here's my caution. Don't take from this passage that we can't question God. We can. In fact, if you grab, just keep your finger or a ribbon or a piece of paper or something in Malachi and go back and see if you can find Psalms at the middle of your Bible. Flick back, see if you can find Psalms. And I want you to find, in particular, Psalm 10. Psalm 10. Have a look. Here's the psalmist, and it's not just a record of one person. This is the Spirit of God inspiring the writers of these songs and these psalms that teach us something important about God and about humanity. Read Psalm 10. We're not going to read the whole thing. It's... 18 verses long. We're just going to read the beginning of it. You'll get the picture. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Here's the psalmist, right? Why do you hide yourselves in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes they've devised. For the wicked boasts in the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. And, and it just continues on. The psalmist has been looking at the world around him and there are bad things happening. And he's wondering, when will God do something about it? It's not wrong for you to look at the world and say, God, where's your justice? God, where is it? But the caution that I want to give to you as you read through this particular passage back in Malachi is that the tone of your questioning matters. 
The tone of your questioning matters. It reveals something about your heart and your trust. The psalmist looked at the world around him, saw bad things happening and wondered, God, when will you do something about it? We can look at the world around us and think, come Lord Jesus, please. How long will you wait? Lord, please lift up the cause of the afflicted. And we can call out to God and say, God, where? Where is your justice? Please bring it. Right? That's, a, that's a, a call of dependency on God. That's not the tone that the people in Malachi were using. They were looking at it and scoffing at God. They were saying, look, God will do nothing about it. In fact, God likes it when this sort of thing happens. Where is the God of justice? That's the tone that they were giving. So that's, that's one caution that I want you to take from this. Don't think from this passage that you can't call out to God in all honesty and say, God, please, please, please show up. Where, where are you, God? I need you in my life, right? That's a call of dependence. Do that. God loves it. The second caution, and this is just a matter of trying to clear up some confusion in this passage. The second caution in this particular passage in Malachi chapter 3, you'll find it, is... The whole thing about the messenger of the Lord. And really, I want to just ask, when you read that, you've got to be careful when you're reading it to figure out who's who. Who's being talked about here. Let's, let's just remind ourselves of it. Chapter 3, verse 1, back in Malachi. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Is that the messenger, or is it the Lord? I, um, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming. So there's a lot of people turning up, it seems here, and we've got to try and figure out who's who. And, and the way you do that is just simply read through and, and try and figure out, well, when it says he is coming, what type of he are we talking about? Um, maybe you're thinking of verses that you might have read about in, back in Isaiah. Some of you, I know, were, were studying the book of Isaiah. Um, Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3 a prophetic voice in Isaiah's time says this, A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And Malachi is saying, Hey, I'm preparing my messenger. He's going to prepare the way before me. And maybe you're also thinking about in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. What did he say? Verse 2 tells us, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Malachi is um, preparing and pointing his people forward to a day when the messenger of the Lord will arrive, when John the Baptist would arrive. All right, Behold, I send my messenger, God says, and he will prepare the way before me. God's saying, I'm going to come, but before I get there, my messenger will arrive. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And we know that as we read through the Gospels, there are times when people came to John the Baptist and they said, hey, John, just be straight with us for a moment. Are you the Christ? Are you the one that we've been expecting? And he said, no, 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 no. I'm not even worthy to tie up the sandals of that guy. Right? I'm not the Christ. 
but I am the one who was sent to prepare the way for him. And we also know that later on when he saw Jesus, he pointed him, he said, right, there's the Lamb of God, there's the guy. That's the guy you should go follow. All right? That's who I've been preparing you for. This is, this is Malachi telling the people, this is coming. Be ready. All right? So they're my two cautions. Um, one is, don't give up questioning God. Just do it with the right tone. And uh, when you read through this passage in Malachi, just realize that Malachi is talking about two different people there. The, the one preparing the way and the Lord coming. Okay. So let's go to our three big lessons now. Um, first lesson is be careful how you question God. We started talking about this already. Be careful how you question God. There's, there's a way that we can approach God in our honesty that misrepresents his character. That's what was happening in Malachi's time, right? As you look back in uh, chapter 2, that, that last verse of chapter 2, God was definitely, it, it's very plain, God's accusation against the people is that you have wearied me with your words. This statement that you're saying about what I'm like, the fact that I would look at something evil and call it good, uh, that misrep misrepresents God. And it tires God. It wearies God. He is sick of it. All right? And it's, it's very plain. So we need to take a lesson out of this and say, as we're, as we're grappling with what's happening in our world, and we're trying to contrast or put that together against what we know about God, let's be very careful. God takes it very seriously that we would represent him well in how we think and how we speak. God takes it very seriously that we would represent him accurately, that we would speak about him properly. And, and Marty, you reminded us this morning, the way that we know his character is not by sort of looking around us and sort of saying, well, all this must be true then, then that must be true about God. God says, I've already told you what I'm like. All right, get back into the word. If you want to know what God's like, get to know Jesus. Jesus said to his disciples, when they said, okay, just show us the Father, then we'll believe. And he says, you guys are so slow. That's my, my translation. He says, you guys are really slow at this. I've been with you from the very beginning. And if you want to know what the Father's like, look at me. If you want to know what God's like, get to know Jesus. Right? That's what he was saying to them. So let's be careful how we question God. It's okay to question him. It's okay to say, God, why have you not acted? God, why, why are you waiting? It's okay to do that. The Psalms are filled with those sorts of questions. But we just need to be careful that we don't misrepresent God's character in doing it. That's the first big lesson that we take from this passage. Second big lesson that I think is important to point out here, and this is the surprising nature, I think, of this passage. You see, what the people were in essence saying was we want God to act. We're looking at all the bad stuff out there. We are looking at all the, uh, the wrong that's going on in the world. We're looking at the evil that's occurring. And their, their questioning was really about saying, we want God to do something about all those bad people out there. And I've heard the same sort of rhetoric, the same sort of conversation going on in our world 
You see it in social media all the time amongst Christians. You hear it in conversations. We want God to turn up and fix all that bad stuff out there. But here's the surprising thing about Malachi and this particular passage. God says, I am coming to fix it. That's what he tells Malachi, right? I am. I'm sending my messenger. He's going to prepare the way for me. And then I'll come. I'll turn up at my temple. I'm arriving. I am coming. But the people, they wanted God to go and fix stuff up out there. But God says, before I'm going to do that, I'm going to fix stuff up in here. Judgment begins with us. That's what the second lesson of this passage tells us. While the people's hearts were pointing outwards and saying, God, come and sort out all those bad people that are doing things out there. God says, well, before I do that, there's some stuff that I need to deal with in my own house. Judgment begins with us. You can see that in our breakdown of our passage, right? Verses one and ver- uh, verse 1 mostly talks about how he's, he's arriving. The messenger's coming and the Lord's going to come. But look at verse 2. The question that God asks is, but who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? When, when God turns up, the question is a good question to ask. doesn't matter who you are. Who's able to stand in front of God? Now, standing, we might miss the, the symbolism here a little bit. Um, think about all the, uh, the, the movies that you've watched, those period movies of you know, King Arthur and all those sorts of things, when there's a big argument going on amongst all the knights or the, the lords or whatever, and, then, and the king's not in the room, right? And then all of a sudden, in the mid-conversation, the king enters the room. What happens? Right? Immediately, a hush comes over the room, and anyone loyal, in particular, to the king, what do they do? They kneel. All right, it's it's a, a human, broken analogy, I know, but I think it might start to help us understand the expected posture that we have before the king of the universe, that when God enters, who can stand? Who can endure? Who will be able to stand in front of the gaze of God and stand there as though I'm immune to it? That's a rhetorical question because the answer is no one. No one can. No one stands before the Lord, bar the perfect one, bar the the Lord who has come to his temple. And judgment begins with us because that whole passage from verse 2 onwards... It describes what God is going to do, but it's not describing what God's going to do out there. It's describing what God's going to do amongst his people. And he, he makes two, um, two pictures, two images, human images that might need a little bit of explanation. One is a refiner's fire. We're probably a little bit more familiar with that because we sing songs about it, or we used to. Um, we... We understand maybe the concept of a jeweller or, or someone who has some gold and they, they put it into a pot and they sit it over a fire and, and the heat melts that gold down and as they heat it up, they 
they put some other chemicals into it or other things into it, and it helps all the impurities or what's called the dross float to the surface and they scrape it off and get rid of that. All right? That has purified the gold. Then they do the process again and they keep doing it until it gets down to as 100% pure gold as possible or 100% pure silver as possible. There's the image. Malachi says that's what God's going to be like when he turns up. He's going to be a purifier. It's going to involve hate. <laughs> it's going to involve hardship. And it's involving scraping away the impurities and removing it to, to allow something pure to remain. Now, if you're reading from the English Standard Version, you're also going to get, he's also like Fuller's Soap. I looked up the Christian Standard Bible. Tim and I were talking about this. It says, launderer's bleach. I don't really like that image that much. Um, the reason why is a Fuller, back in the day that Malachi... Um, lived in, was a trade. It was a person whose job that was to take wool from a sheep and clean it. You know how they cleaned it? They beat it. And they did it over water and, and a special type of soap um, made of clay and stuff. The job was pound it and smash it under running water and with this soap and it pulled out all the liniment, the oils, the, the, the dirt, the impurities. And at the end of the process, they were left with really nice, clean wool that could be then made into fabric and clothes. That was their job. God says, when I turn up, I'm going to be like a refiner's fire and I'm going to be like full of soap. Basically, God says, when I'm going to turn up, I'm going to turn the heat up and I'm going to beat you. And we sing, refine as fire. Bring it on, Lord. I want you to turn the heat up. I want you to beat me. Right? You see, when we start asking for God's justice, we need to be careful what we're asking for. When we ask God for justice, he's more than likely going to say, I'll get to that, but let's talk about you first. And maybe you could think, wow, Chris, that's not the God that I wanted to hear about this morning. That's not the God that I built up in my head. But it's the God that God tells us that he's like. It's the God that says, no, no, we need to deal with this because this matters. And really it was about restoring worship. It was about restoring people who, not, who don't misrepresent God with their words, but actually proclaim him rightly and truly. This is about worship. And you can see it there. I'm not making it up. Verse 3, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. This is about saying, I want my people to worship me rightly. I want my people to know me for who I really am and praise me for it and worship me for it. It's about us getting to know God. And God says, if I need to refine you so that that can happen, if I need to pull out the impurities, if I need to get rid of the dross, for that to happen, then I'm willing to do that. 
So let's not talk about all the justice that needs to happen out there for a moment. And God says that I want to make sure things are right here. Think about the New Testament again. The messenger. John the Baptist coming to prepare the way of the Lord. And he points to Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm here. Jesus turns up where? At the temple. There's lots of injustice going on in the world in Jesus' time. Lots of people saying, Jesus, turn up and deal with the Romans, please. They're oppressing us. And he says, I'll get to that. Let's turn up at the temple for a moment. Look at what you're doing. This is the Jesus who will thread together a leather whip. A Jesus who will turn tables. A Jesus who will rebuke his own people. And say, let's deal with this first. Then we'll deal with that. Last, third lesson. And this is the part that's the feel nice, the, the feel good part, right? All wrongs will be made right. Malachi paints a picture of a God that will turn up, deal with injustice first amongst his own people, yes, but then he will deal with all wrongs in this world. All wrongs will be made right. Verse 5, then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be swift. Do you remember the, the questioning? God, how come you're not doing anything? God, where is your justice? The language that God uses, I will be swift. I will turn up. Then I will turn up. Suddenly I'll appear. Right? I'll be a swift witness against the sorcerers. Against the adulterers. Against those who swear falsely. Against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages. Those who oppress the widow. Those who oppress the fatherless. Against those who thrust aside the sojourner, who don't care for those that don't live from, are not from our land, but who have found themselves in our land. Those who oppress and thrust them aside and don't fear me, says the Lord of hosts. I will deal with that. All wrongs will be made right. And right now, you may have walked in this morning and there are wrongs in your life. And you are wondering, God, when will you make them right? There are wrongs, real wrongs and hurts that have occurred to you. And you've turned up here this morning and, and you may have even spoken about them to anyone in this room. But in your heart, you're saying, God, when? When will you do that? Then I want you to hear this morning. God will make all wrong right. God will deal with those who have acted evilly against you. God will deal with those who have oppressed, maybe you, or ones you've loved. God is not slow. He will swiftly come. His justice will be complete. And those people that have wronged you, their wrong will either have been dealt fully at the cross if they repent and find their faith in Christ, or they will be dealt with in eternal punishment. But no wrong will escape God's view. All wrongs will be made right. And so although this passage has got some hard things in it, Malachi's prophecy is also about bringing comfort. 
Yes, God deals with wrong, even ours. But what's happening in the world right now? No one's getting away with murder. There is no such thing when God is on the scene. It may appear like it for a time. But take comfort. All wrongs will be made right. So that's my one hint. You can do that, can't you? Take the next passage in Malachi. Take a passage from Ephesians or Colossians or anywhere you like. Get together with some friends in your Bible study group. Go through that process. Break it down into clusters. Add some headings. Join them back up again. There's your summary statement. It's the beginning of a great Bible study. All right. Two cautions. Look for things in the passage that we need to be careful about. But the three lessons from today, be careful how you question God. Remember, judgment begins with us. Thirdly, take comfort. All wrongs will be made right. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your graciousness towards us in meeting with us this morning through your word and by the spirit. Lord, help us to handle your word well. Help us to not misrepresent who you are in your character. Lord, thank you that we can take comfort that you will deal with all wrong. You will deal with those who have oppressed, who have acted in ways contrary to, to what you've called us to live like. We can look outside and we can see things in this world and we wonder, Lord, when will you do it? But you will do it. You are doing it. But Lord, also help us to understand your role in shaping us. That you seek to refine us, to clean us, to purify us so that we might be your representatives in this place, in this time, who speak your name well. That many more people might know that you are God over all. You deserve to be worshipped and honoured. And that your love for us abounds has no bound, no end, and that we've seen that in Christ. So we thank you for meeting with us and ministering to us. In your name, amen.